Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio. Every week, Federal News Radio Executive Editor Jason Miller interviews CIOs of federal agencies about the latest directives, IT challenges, and successes. Now, your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Greg Hall, the Assistant Director and Chief Information Security Officer for the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys at the Justice Department. Greg, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Jason. So this is kind of an interesting ask the CIO. Usually, number one, I talk to CIOs. You're a Chief Information Security Officer, so we're going to really focus on cybersecurity and, and your priorities and, and challenges around that. Starting off, though, let, let's start with a little bit of news that you guys made recently. You guys signed up to use a, a new service, and it's really an interesting service because it's it's addressing a challenge I think many, many agencies have, which is this idea of identity management, this idea of of cloud identity management. So talk a little bit about what your goals are around this idea of, of cloud identity management. It's really part of a broader identity nexus management strategic initiative that we started about two years ago. We'd worked with some internal folks to develop a strategy, a three-year strategy in particular, which involved a number of things. It involved technology acquisitions as well as putting together the strategic roadmap and also trying to understand how we can align with the broader federal government identity and access management direction, as well as some of the DOJ-specific identity, credential, and access management initiatives. And at the same time, really kind of evolve our own uh, identity and access management maturity model. And so we uh, we were able to do that and, and really capture all of that information, if you will, within this strategic plan. In particular, uh, I think we were able to make some specific procurements that kind of put us in the forefront, I believe, within the department in terms of using leading-edge technology solutions specifically that support actually both on-prem and in the cloud. And, and being able to achieve this vision that we have set out for ourselves, these technologies have provided certain capabilities, in particular, uh, enabling us to achieve some of our single sign-on initiatives. And I think when we talk about supporting the U.S. Attorney's offices, it's really all about enabling them and making their litigation efforts as efficient and as effective as can be, and, and really uh, optimizing their uh, their potential for a successful outcome on that litigation effort. What that means is accessing the data in a way that's scalable, that's trusted, that's efficient, that gives them access to what they need, and at the same time still allows us to employ the least privileged principle. So we've been able to integrate some applications. We've got a roadmap to integrate additional ones, uh, including both on-prem and in the cloud. We're doing some work in AWS right now, provisioning some uh, litigation applications out there, and then trying to provide services to support uh, the integration into our broader enterprise framework. We've also looked at how we integrate not only those specific technologies, but uh, add additional capabilities by way of identity governance administration, looking to add strong credentialing, i.e. developing a business model and technology solution for the PIVI and issuing those to short-term folks. And really, I think what we've been able to do is more broadly understand our user ecosystem and to develop an IDAM framework that supports those users and gives them access to the information that they need uh, that ultimately supports the U.S. Attorney's offices and, again, leads to a successful outcome in their litigation efforts. All right, so several things there to unpack. Let me start with the initial news of, of the contract you guys awarded to Okta. Uh, how are you using their technology initially to, to really create this identity management ecosystem that, that's maybe one of the many first pieces? We're using that in a number of ways, I think principally to integrate both internal users and external users, more so on the external user side. It allows us to accept 
identity uh, information from them and to provision them for access into our enterprise framework and allow them to access data sets that we have actually both in the cloud as part of our United States Attorney's file exchange environment as well as uh, systems on-prem like Relativity where we have the litigation information that's specific uh, to individual cases. We've also been able to leverage the Okta technology in terms of looking at things like derived credentials and, and looking at other capabilities that we think are uh, necessary to help us achieve the vision that we've set out for IDAM program. So one of the things you mentioned there was the internal and external. You also mentioned the PIVI. So there's a lot there. So currently, how is the setup working? Meaning, as you're writing the roadmap, what was your as-is and what's your to-be if you, if you want to get into the enterprise architecture world? If you're an internal U.S. Attorney's Office employee, user, you're using your PIV credential to effectively sign on to the domain. And then beyond that, we're leveraging the Okta solution uh, and other technology platforms to provide an enterprise single sign-on experience. So what that does is it enables them to get access to mission-critical applications much easier. And then what it does on the development side is it reduces the development burden and having to actually integrate an IDAM capability within the application itself. So that's really what Okta and other technology solutions does for us is uh, principally for the internal user, it's allowing us to have a single sign-on experience. And that's something that we haven't had before. And I think that's something that the folks have really been asking for in terms of being able to make their user experience better and, and being able to provide more efficient access to information that they need. And honestly, to really reduce the burden of passwords. And I think if you talk to many organizations, all organizations, I think we all struggle with password management. And I think being able to employ a solution, you know, such as Okta and others, um, you know, that's been able, uh, that's enabled us to really effectively address that issue of scalability, of integration, of enabling folks to access information more effectively, and also reducing the burden on the developers of having to address that individually within each application. So I think that's been great. Let me now turn to Mark Settle, the Chief Information Officer at Okta. So basically what will happen is if I'm a DOJ employee, I will use my PIV card to access the, the network, and then through that I will also authenticate through the cloud to get to those databases. No, exactly right. And it, it might be more than just the PIV card. It might, there might be other ancillary information as well. Now, one of the big challenges has been that uh, the world at large has really kind of moved uh, away from the classic PC laptop work world to 24 by 7, always on kind of situation where people want to be able to access through tablets and smartphones as well. And that's, again, a feature of our service is that we can provide that same authentication experience on a smartphone. And it's a globally available service as well. I mentioned that we operate on AWS. We have paired data centers in North America, Europe, and we're, we're expanding our capabilities in the Asia region as well. So, so you know, it's a very scalable service. That's been another uh, appeal to some of the other government customers that we've been talking to, simply because they deal with very large populations of individuals, you, you know, whether it's doctors who are seeking reimbursement from the, the Centers for Medicaid and uh, Medicare, or a variety of other instances where the, the communities that we're talking about authenticating really number in the millions. And you want to be able to instantiate that service in a very relatively short period of time, 60, 90 days. You want to have a new authentication platform for you know people receiving Social Security benefits or just large populations of people. I think that's one of the big appeals for our kind of a service. Um, to public sector organizations. You guys received the moderate certification from FedRAMP, the Federal Risk and Authorization Management Program. Talk a little bit about what that moderate certification was for, Okta Identity Cloud. Explain to me a little bit more about what that is. Okta offers a number of related services that allow well, really quite 
broad spectrum of individuals, whether they're employees or in other instances, customers or partners of any organization, whether it's public or private, to authenticate identities to existing IT systems and databases. You know, obviously, a lot of these kind of systems have very sensitive data. Some of the sensitivities in the public sector would be different than in the than in the private sector. Uh, and in the past, there have been a collection of different technologies to to facilitate this authentication or access process. And some, most of these will be familiar to your listeners, capabilities around single sign-on, multi-factor authentication, you know, directories that hold different kinds of identity information, attributes that are used to verify who people are as they try to access increasingly sensitive or, you know, proprietary forms of information. And so in the past, many uh, organizations have had to cobble together some best-of-breed products to um, facilitate this authentication process. And what's different about Okta is we built our capability in the cloud from the beginning. Many of the legacy services really have an on-premise kind of background where you, you know, license software, buy servers, and maintain it yourself in-house. Our service runs on AWS, Amazon Web Service Platform, uh, and we have a spectrum of these capabilities that can be used selectively depending on the specific use case. You threw in a couple of the really interesting buzzwords that people bring up time and again, back away from those legacy systems. You brought up the idea of, of getting out of that customization of hardware, software tools, and packages. Give me a sense now, this works how, meaning how is the Justice Department using your services? Any organization, again, public or private, um, maintains a set of attributes about the individuals who are going to be accessing their systems. And again, those individuals can be employees or partners or, or customers. And uh, our service allows those or any organization to effectively federate in selectively different identity attributes. And those attributes could um, you know, vary from my name and my full name, my phone number, my email address. And in the government context, it could involve things like social security number, you know, PIV card, personal identification, verification card, registered numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And those can be selectively federated into our directory, and then that directory can be exercised to enable access to different systems. And so that's specifically what DOJ is using us for, is to have kind of a, a one-stop shopping center, if you will, a one-stop platform, federating in identity attributes from pre-existing systems, and then really kind of use us as the, um, you know, the, the gateway going forward for access to all their systems, and the initial focus is on internally on DOJ employees. Let me go back to Greg Hall of the Executive Office of U.S. Attorneys in the Justice Department. The password management and the single sign-on, I know a lot of agencies have talked about it for, for years. Was this decision to kind of move in this direction, you said it's part of a roadmap, was this just an obvious part of the evolution, or was this a tough decision to say, we are going to support and make single sign-on available, okay, now let's look out and see what's the art of the possible. Now, this really was a deliberate planning attempt to understand what our current environment is within the identity access management landscape, uh, and then understand where we need to make improvements. And, and in addition to making those improvements, understanding how that, that aligns us, again, with the broader federal government initiative, i.e. HSPD-12, the FICAM initiative, et cetera. And then in particular, within, within our enterprise environment, understanding how we better enable our own user base to provide them more efficient and more effective access to information that they need. 
Additionally, you know, IDAM is another capability that provides, uh, you know, stronger authentication. It provides more effective provisioning in terms of automated, you know, provisioning, deprovisioning. And it also allows us to really take a look at how we might link that to something like an attribute-based access control model uh, and really, again, applying the privilege, least privilege principle and, and giving folks what they need access to. And that way, you know, manage our data more effectively and making sure that um, folks that uh, shouldn't be accessing information are not doing that. Um, so it really was a deliberate attempt for us to, again, understand the landscape and to put together a three-year roadmap and then to factor that into our acquisition cycle and go out and make the necessary procurements that we thought were appropriate to achieve the vision. And I think that's what we've done. And we've been executing now for roughly two years. And I think um, within the department, we really have uh, been kind of leading the charge, I would say. I, I think that uh, we're a very leading-edge, technology-oriented component within the department. I think we've deployed a lot of leading-edge capabilities, and I think IDAM is one of those examples where we've deployed some cloud-based capabilities uh, that other components haven't quite done yet. We're looking to federate some of those services, and uh, we're working with the department and other components to, you know, to push us together collectively uh, down the IDAM roadmap. Let's take a quick break. My guests today are Greg Hall, the Assistant Director and Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office of the U.S. Attorneys in the Justice Department, and Mark Settle, the Chief Information Officer at Okta. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Greg Hall, the Assistant Director and Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys in the Justice Department, and Mark Settle, the Chief Information Officer at Okta. Greg, I definitely want to unpack the roadmap a little bit more when we get a chance and talk about cloud and some of the federation and some of the other component, the work you guys are doing within the Justice Department. But one of the things that came to my attention over the years is Identity management in the cloud is not only a big challenge, but it's also a concern from a security perspective. You as the chief information security officer and maybe some of the people you work with, some of the executives, were they worried about that risk of putting identity management in the cloud? Uh, sure, I think they were. And I think those risks and I think that sentiment has been conveyed to the to the vendors and the cloud service providers. And I think what you've seen on that front is uh, a, a lot of initiatives in terms of uh, achieving different levels of assurance and providing different security services, managed services, and others that provide that additional security that you know organizations were concerned about, right? And and you know data encryption at rest, data encryption in transit, managing uh, API integration, making sure that those are secure. You know, key management and making sure that uh, those things are effectively addressed. If you look at uh, some of the cloud service providers, they've been able to achieve very high levels of assurance, achieve FedRAMP certification, and I think they're doing the necessary things to provide the reassurance to the federal government that they can begin to move different types of data sets out there, limited official use type uh, data sets that uh, you know, would be considered sensitive, but albeit uh, sufficiently protected relative to, to their impact, you know, and I think that's continuing to evolve. I think organizations are still having to discern what's appropriate in terms of maybe the more sensitive data that uh, really should be kept on-prem until there's a comfort factor there to consider even moving that to the cloud. But today I would say it's more of a hybrid world where uh, there's there's things that we still keep on-premise, you know, within the fence that we believe is uh, that requires that additional level of protection and physical control. And there are other types of data sets and applications, et cetera, services that we think are are absolutely perfect for the cloud environment, that there's sufficient security there, and that we're able to actually take advantage of the cloud environment, right, of the elasticity of the 
scalability of the you know uh, uh, metering and being only charged for what you use. And I think there's a lot of business incentives from the cloud perspective to adopt that model and to leverage those services and to be able to scale. And uh, so I think that's just a, an evolving environment. I think that's it's good to hear that there's, as you said, the hybrid environment. I think you hear that more and more from agency CIOs, CISOs, and the like that says, we understand that some things must stay on-premise and some things can be moved to the cloud. One of the things that you guys did do with the Okta solution, as one example, is you looked at the security controls. I think there's something to the effect of 300 controls you looked at. Did that seem, as you went through it, a little overwhelming? Did that seem like, because FedRAMP, Moderate, I think, has something like 150 or 100 or 200 controls, and FedRAMP High has something like 400 controls. So you're kind of, if I remember my, my numbers correctly, you're kind of in the middle there. T talk a little bit about that process to, to look at those across those controls. Sure. I, I think it's one of those things that we've just been able to uh, learn as we go. We've actually had several attempts at this, not only with Okta, but with other uh, with other companies that uh, were cloud-based capabilities. And so I think, you know, through that process and working with their security staff and understanding the responsibility for the controls, which controls are going to be serviced by the cloud provider, which controls are going to be a hybrid-type control where we're both responsible, and then which controls are specifically uh, the responsibility of, of the government, in this case, the U.S. Attorney's Office. And I think that was a process whereby it, it, it just required a lot of communication. It required a lot of engagement. Um, it required us to literally you know, roll up our sleeves and sit down and evolve the control information matrix and, and, and really understand whose responsibility it was and then you know, put together a plan to achieve the implementation of that control and then to effectively assess it uh, and then to capture that documentation within some type of you know, security workflow tool um, and, and then you know, proceed forward with the authorization. So uh, that's one of those things I, I think that is probably one of the more challenging aspects of, of, of obtaining a FedRAMP certification and working with vendors is just really understanding the responsibilities for the controls and, and mapping that out. And it just takes a long time. It's just really uh, one of those things that we kind of refer to as grunt work where you just got to sit down, uh, get out the control catalog, and go through it individually and understand you know, what your baseline is that you're working with relative to the security impact. Um, and, then, uh, and then, again, just control by control, understand you know, whose responsibility that, that is. And ultimately, that results in a very um, well-vetted uh, you know, control information summary a matrix that, uh, that, that becomes part of the you know, FedRAMP authorization package. And, and I think you know, when that's clear, then people can more effectively support that and assess that and make sure that those controls are doing what they need to do throughout its life cycle. Roughly speaking, how long did it take you to go from, you know, yes, we want to move this through the FedRAMP process to the end? Was it, you know, six months, six weeks? Can you give me a sense? Yeah, sure. Um, so we actually, I think, began some FedRAMP conversations, uh, I want to say June 2015. Um, and then we ended up actually having the ATO letter signed by the department April 21st of 2017. So that really, I think, you know, encompasses the entire timeline for initial engagement. Um, do we want to proceed down this FedRAMP road, um, ultimately getting, and then ultimately getting to the actual ATO? So, and in between that time, obviously, a lot of work, a lot of coordination uh, between numerous stakeholders, uh, you know, OCTA, the department, 3PAO, 
and others, uh, you know, uh, making sure that um, you know, we're doing what's necessary to, uh, you know, go through the, the paces and, and to do what's required to achieve what really requires a significant investment of time and resources, uh, but ultimately is well worth it. And I think, again, to your earlier question about, you know, what's the concern about folks moving to the cloud? Well, when I think government agencies see, you know, technology companies making the investment and doing things like this, that you know, there's a level of reassurance there that, uh, you know, that they're providing uh, sufficient capabilities and security uh, controls that, uh, that would protect the data commensurate with its sensitivity. Let me now turn to Mark Settle, the Chief Information Officer at Okta. When the Justice Department decided to, to kind of shepherd you guys through the FedRAMP process, how difficult was this process? I mean, I, I don't know if you can compare it to other certifications you guys have had. Give me a sense, because I, yep. I think it said something like 300 controls they looked at. Yes. So from where I sit, this is really just one of, in a series of certifications that we've obtained. We're also HIPAA certified. We hold two ISO certifications, SOC 2 certification for the service as well. Now, I would be the first to admit, I think FedRAMP is probably one of the most um, you know stringent certifications to obtain. But my point being, you know, when you build a cloud-based service, you really security is one of the principal engineering constructs from the first first day when you, you know, think about how you're going to um, construct these capabilities. And so really we've been on this journey for since the company was founded in 2009 of providing greater and greater security, you know, safeguards along the way. So, I, you know, I don't think we encountered anything in the FedRAMP process that was kind of news or a shock or unexpected. I mean, but I, but again, I think the rigor, um, maybe the comprehensiveness of some of the um, the controls that are required to obtain the FedRAMP certification. And it's an ongoing process. It's a constant conversation um, that goes on over time where they come back in and, and look and, and or we attest to maintaining certain controls and provide test information to them uh, to demonstrate that we're doing that. So, you know, obviously government customers are going to benefit from that, but we sort of think of it much more broadly that all of our customers benefit from those security safeguards. Was there any concern on the Justice Department perspective? How did you guys alleviate it if there were concerns about the use of this federated approach, you know, identity management in the cloud? No, because again, it's a completely configurable service. So it's it's not as if, you know, we would link to a pre-existing identity store and like suck up all that information and, and take it over to our, you know, into our cloud service. The customer, in this case, DOJ, you know, could be very explicit about what specific identity attributes they wanted to federate into um, what we call our universal directory. You know, frankly, the other, the other nice, one of the other nice features of um, the Okta service is that universal directory can be used as a, um, a home for contractors or seasonal employees, you know, temp people who are temporarily associated with an organization, and, and in a way kind of shield your core identity data stores, you know, from basically transient individuals that are going to only be associated with the organization for brief periods of time. There's a lot of auditing concerns, you know, that have become, again, more and more stringent over time, where you go back into your you know, core systems and you see that there are still people who have access who possibly have left the organization, you know, who were contractors six months ago, et cetera, where all that access should have been terminated. In, in our case, uh, you can control that access through our directory without you know, kind of churning your own internal data stores um, that you've historically developed in the past. That's a very common problem that, you know, we see in a lot of organizations. Let me go back to Greg Hall of the Executive Office of U.S. Attorneys in the Justice Department. Getting to that single sign-on, especially from a cloud perspective, is a huge win, not just for the Justice Department and not for the company, Okta in this case, but for government in general, because I think, as, as you said, between passwords, 
and getting towards ABAC and all those things I, I definitely want to talk about. This is the first step in that long journey, I imagine. Sure, it is. Absolutely. You know, this was a deliberate planning attempt to really lay out the roadmap. This is a three-year roadmap, and there will, you know, this will continue to evolve. Obviously, it's not going to stop at three years, and the technology solutions for IDEM are going to continue to evolve, and so the landscape will have to adjust to that, as well as adjusting to the threat and understanding what's necessary uh, to do to enhance our IDEM capabilities to make sure that, you know, identities that are being asserted are trusted and to make sure that the associated entitlements and attributes that are bound to an identity are appropriate for that person's role and, and mission. And, and so that, that landscape is going to continue to evolve. And, and through that whole process, we also have to really keep in mind the user, right, and the user experience and what they're really asking for and what we're trying to achieve here, which is really a, a better user experience that enables folks to get to the data that they need efficiently and effectively to successfully litigate. And that's really our, our, our key focus here. Let's take a quick break. My guests today are Greg Hall, the Assistant Director and Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office of the U.S. Attorneys in the Justice Department, and Mark Settle, the Chief Information Officer at Okta. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Greg Hall, the Assistant Director and Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys in the Justice Department, and Mark Settle, the Chief Information Officer at Okta. Now, now Greg, before break, we were talking a lot about identity management, and we talked a lot about the move to the cloud for identity management. You have other priorities, too, so let's jump into those. What else are you trying to get done over the next six or nine months around cybersecurity specifically or more broadly? We have a number of priorities within the OCIO cybersecurity program. Many of these are key initiatives that are really in response to the rapidly growing threat spectrum and, I believe, help minimize our exposure. Others are more strategic and I think are going to take a little bit longer to implement. On the tactical side, I think you know, we're really continuing to deploy what we believe is an enhanced endpoint protection and encryption platform that really is part of our more recent Windows 10 software and hardware refresh. Uh, part of that rollout includes for us um, an advanced threat defense and a threat intelligence integration capability, which I think helps deal with zero-day threats and advanced malware. And as you can appreciate, I'm sure, that really is the landscape today. And I think uh, folks have to be almost predictive today to address the threats that are out there today and to be able to effectively respond. And at the same time, still do the blocking and tackling. We're also doing things like refreshing our uh, intrusion protection, intrusion detection infrastructure, and we're also trying to enhance our security information and event management uh, data analytical capabilities, which I think today uh, it really is a kind of a big data challenge and kind of sifting through the mountain of data that you have from all the sensor and endpoints and the telemetry data that you collect and, and making sense out of that and trying to be able to respond to something that's truly actionable. Uh, strategically, uh, we're really continuing to deliver on the identity and access management front, and we've just talked about that, I think, fairly extensively, and certainly there's more to talk about there. But some of the focus areas within the IDAM uh, initiative include strong authentication. We talked a little bit about that relative to HSPD-12 and TIV and TIV-I integration and trying to achieve that strong credentialing that, uh, that really is the requirement today. And then we've also focused quite heavily on identity governance and administration, and that really is a joint initiative with both us and the department to employ technologies that allow us to more effectively provision, deprovision users and to, at some point, you know, federate uh, our capabilities across the department. And that ultimately 
leads to more effective access management. Another key area that I think we're focusing on that I think has really become a focus area more broadly for the federal government, executive office of the White House, et cetera, is privilege access management, principally because of the level of access that these folks have and the potential impact that they have because of that access. And so we're looking at uh, those solutions and, and trying to ensure that uh, that's tightly coupled and integrated with our IDAM platform, uh, as well as uh, two additional nurse initiatives that uh, we're looking to roll out this year as well, which principally focus on uh, insider threat detection and prevention, as well as uh, enterprise auditing. Uh, ultimately, all of these things, I think, comprise what really is a complex analytical framework, uh, which we're also continuing to put more cycles into so that our folks can take this data uh, that we've aggregated and, again, really make sense out of it and try to discern uh, what's actionable and try to be more predictive and uh, less uh, reactive. And, and I think that's really uh, the security posture that you have to assume today to really be effective and to combat the threat. So let me back up on one of the things, because you, you talked initially about enhanced endpoint encryption platform. You talked about Windows 10. Where does the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program, CDM, Einstein, where does that kind of fit into this broader discussion? Sure. It really fits into both the endpoint perspective uh, or the endpoint discussion as well as the network layer discussion. So, of course, Einstein's looking at you know, the internet and it's looking at the network layer and what's coming in and what's going out and making sure that we are able to identify you know, malicious activity and, and as well as you know, looking at packets that are uh, going out that either should or shouldn't go out relative to the information that's within them. And within the endpoint itself, you know, we're working with the department on some uh, key technologies that would enhance our platform. So we, we've invested in a, a suite solution that provides a, a broad array of capabilities. And I think to the extent practical, we would like to continue to evolve that platform, but where uh, we can uh, work with the department and take advantage of CDM capabilities uh, that are made available, we're, we're certainly trying to do that. And there's several of them that, we, we, that we've done that with. And uh, we'll continue to work uh, with the department on the you know, individual phases of, of the CDM rollout. And, and at the same time, you know, make the necessary investments to enhance our existing endpoint protection framework. The other piece of this that's interesting as well is the advanced threat defense and threat intelligence integration capability. And, and that kind of moves into another kind of more strategic priority, which is advanced data analytics. How comfortable are you today with your kind of those capabilities and, and where do you want to go, you know, again, over the next year or so with specifically using the big data analytics and combine it with the threat intelligence and threat detection? That's a, a strategic direction as much as, you know, the IDM roadmap is, is a strategic direction for us. I think maybe the easiest way to, to put this in perspective is to almost relate it to the, the capability maturity model. And I, and I think, you know, we've got room to grow. I think you know, maybe an initial assessment would be level one, but we're certainly looking to, to move higher along that spectrum. I think um, we have technology platforms that do provide an initial analytical capability, but I don't think we have the advanced algorithms and associated capabilities that allow us to really more effectively search through the data and make sense of it. So we've made some investments along that area as well. And I think being able to leverage those technologies, certainly within the enterprise audit project and within the insider threat project, we'll be able to leverage uh, those technologies and, and further integrate those with existing things like our security information and event management platform. And uh, I think ultimately, you know, what we're really looking to get to is, uh, is more of a, a fusion-like type cell 
where we can leverage capabilities like a security operations center and the analysts that are there 24-7, 365, and can take various technology platforms and, and integrate them and to leverage back-end analytics uh, to make uh, sense out of the telemetry data that we're collecting from all of these different platforms, whether it's the endpoint platform, it's the network platform, it's the trusted internet connection uh, security services platform, it's the cloud platforms, it, and all of those rolled together in trying to understand how the data is connected and what are what are things that are truly uh, actionable. What are things that we need to follow follow up on and and invest those precious cycles in that uh, are few today because. There, there are fewer people, and there's more data and more events, and so we have to really take advantage of the technology to make that manageable and to make it scalable and to make it actionable. And I think more and more CIOs, CISOs are coming to that conclusion as well. Automation, we hear a lot about automation and how you, can you automate some of the, the hygiene stuff, the simple stuff, the patching, the understanding of, sure. of when software goes out of date, can we make sure we have the most recent version? Does automation play into your, your, your goals? Very much so. And I think, you know, the department has put forward some very good uh, capabilities for us to understand our risk posture and to uh, really understand where we are relative to other components and, and to more specifically dive into specific functional areas like, you know, patch management or updates for antivirus definitions or data encryption uh, or secure configuration management or other areas. And I think that's enabled the, the components to really drill down into uh, levels that you know, are at the host-based level, and to, as an example, within the U.S. Attorney's offices, enable us to work with them directly and identify you know, machine instances that require uh, individual attention because for some reason they're not current with patching or they may have uh, unsupported software, or those kinds of things that really worry CIOs and CISOs. And I, so I think you know, this capability, which is also based on you know, a CDM tool uh, that provides excellent endpoint telemetry data, allows us to really understand our environment, and as a result, to reach out to those endpoint owners and to work with them more effectively in resolving those risk areas. And, uh, and so that's been a great, I think, advancement, but both within the department and the components leveraging this capability and working together more effectively. And then at the same time within those components, working with those remote offices and understanding you know, what their security posture looks like and being able to take action and reduce our attack surface. So uh, we're, we're making, I think, really good inroads in that, in that area. We talked a little bit about CDM. We talked a little bit about Einstein. And you brought up the Security Operations Center. This all leads us down the path around shared services. I know Joe Klimovich, the Justice Department CIO, I've talked to him several times, and he's a big proponent of shared services. Talk a little bit about how the U.S. Attorney's Office is taking advantage of some of the things that Justice Department headquarters is offering from a cyber perspective. There's a number of things that we're taking advantage of. I guess one of the uh, the more obvious things is the Security Operations Center, what they call the Joint Security Operations Center, and and EOUSA actually has their own Security Operations Center, and there's a tight fusion between the two. And I think what we're looking to do is really capitalize on that fusion and really uh, understand how we can optimize the capabilities within both Security Operations Center and to achieve the necessary responses that are required based on the threats today, right? And I think that that's probably the more immediate direction is to understand how these two entities can more effectively work together and to be more efficient and more effective and not to be overlapping. And so that's one area. Uh, other areas would include things like the CSAM tool that we use, which is our security uh, automated workflow tool that allows us to effectively implement the risk management framework. And so we leverage that uh, tool from the department, and uh, we've been able to get very good service out of that, that capability and, and making sure that we're going through the NIST 
process in all six phases and ultimately, uh, you know, getting an authorization to operate for our systems. And there, there are others that we're using that uh, I believe, you know, makes sense for us as we, you know, consolidate our data centers and as we converge our networks, et cetera. So we're, we're working with those folks on a number of, uh, you know, shared services. Other things in the cloud, like, you know, cloudware technologies and, uh, again, endpoint things that they've made available that we've integrated into our image, uh, you know, we continue to, to leverage those shared services that are being made available to us. Let's take a quick break. My guests today are Greg Hall, the Assistant Director and Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office of the U.S. Attorneys in the Justice Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Greg Hall, the Assistant Director and Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys in the Justice Department. You brought up risk management a couple of times. One of the things we've seen most recently from the White House is the cybersecurity executive order. I know, generally speaking, a lot of CISOs that I've talked with are still unpacking it. But if you could just generally speaking, risk management is a big piece of that. Do you guys feel like you're in pretty good shape as you start to implement and look at the guidance from OMB around risk management? I do. Actually, I do feel like we're in good shape because I, I think these are things that we've already been doing, frankly. I think it's really been part of our are in really the department's uh, writ large effort to implement the NIST risk management framework. And so we've done that up through, you know, Rev 4 of NIST 853. And, and I know that uh, Dr. Ross just mentioned, re, re, uh, announced that uh, Rev 5 was coming out at our uh, department cybersecurity summit. And so we'll be obviously employing that as well as understanding the impact of the executive order. But I think um, we're well down the road of, of having a, a mature risk management framework implementation. I think we've taken the department's specific implementation of that, which is the security assessment and authorization process, and, and have really extended that throughout the EOUSA enterprise. And I think we've engaged stakeholders to really help them understand that process and to implement it and to make sure that, um, you know, that we're covering down on all of our production systems and new systems and making sure that, uh, you know, that they're part of that process. Have you, from where you sit as the CISO, had conversations with non-IT folks, you know, the executives, about the risk management framework pieces and parts? We've had preliminary conversations. Again, we've had many conversations regarding the existing framework and what we're doing to, you know, to implement that and support that process. And this would be a continuation of that. So, again, I don't think it's going to be completely new, but I think we'll continue to unpack that and work with the department and and figure out, uh, you know, the best way to, you know, to address those those new requirements as part of the executive order. Excellent. Now, Greg, I know we're almost out of time before I let you go. One of the other big areas is workforce, workforce training, both IT folks and non-IT folks. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys are just addressing the training challenges? I think we're really addressing this in a number of ways. And I would also submit to you that it's not just emphasis on cybersecurity, but there's been a focused effort to expand both the cybersecurity uh, training as well as project management and procurement certification training and to kind of bring that together collectively to make for maybe a more rounded, a well-rounded cybersecurity professional. So we've had multiple training sessions or venues that we've provided to folks uh, to achieve that end, to become you know, certified in both uh, procurement practices as well as project management that would be analogous to something like the PMI, project management certification, if you will, the PMP. We also recognize that many of our cybersecurity professionals are, are really certified in some of the industry-recognized certifications today, things like CISP and uh, CISA and, and uh, CEH, et cetera. And so we've tried to uh, really advocate for those types of training that are 
are commensurate with that person's role in the organization and to help them, you know, seek out those training opportunities and, in fact, you know, really continue to earn those uh, CPEs, if you will, those, you know, those professional education requirements that are, uh, that are necessary to keep the certification current. So we, we strongly support that. We also, I think, recognize that the cyber threat's becoming more advanced, and, and we really have to maintain a well-educated and trained cyber force workforce. And one of the ways we've been able to do that is to leverage our National Advocacy Center, which is in South Carolina, and provides an entire suite of learning capabilities, whether they be at the site itself or through distance learning, leveraging our, our network. And, and so that's been a, a, an amazing resource for us to both provision training that we would say is you know, mandatory type training as well as training that might be commercially based that we can provision through that mechanism. So uh, our learning management system is really uh, quite advanced and really helps us uh, meet those, those uh, workforce training needs very effectively. That's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank my guest, Greg Hall, the Assistant Director and Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys in the Justice Department, and Mark Settle, the Chief Information Officer at Okta. Mark, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time today. Jason, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show on our website, Ask the CIO, Thursday mornings at 1030, only on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m.